0: Welcome back to the Fourth Way Podcast. In this episode, I want to draw our formal incarnation season to a close by recapping and concluding. First, I want to remind you that this series was not an assertion of my great incarnation to the world. Rather, it was reflections on how God has been convicting me and what he's been showing me. I live a pretty non-incarnational life, but I'm beginning to see that to truly follow Jesus all the way, I need to work on becoming incarnational in a lot of different ways. Part of that change may be a call for me to embrace physical incarnation, to go where the oppressed are and to live among them. In doing such a thing, that may mean that I give up some of my connections and power and embrace a life of more powerlessness. This is a call to positional incarnation, to put myself in a similar position as the oppressed. And of course, changing my location and position in society will likely lead me to have different experiences in life, experiences that, while painful and difficult, will become an experiential incarnation to the oppressed who have experienced the same or similar things. And finally, where I choose to follow Christ, I can show positive decisional incarnation to others, exemplifying the life that they can live in the kingdom, free in Christ no matter their position or circumstances. And where I fail... There is the grace of God, and he is able to use my negative decisional incarnation to relate to and assist those who, like me, have experienced sin and the effects of sin. We are called to be a royal priesthood, a body which seeks holiness and witness as God draws more and more followers to himself. A lingering question may be why I thought such a season season was pertinent to a podcast on nonviolence. First, it's important to see that Jesus became incarnate to his enemies. He lived and died for us while we were still sinners at enmity with God. Incarnation isn't only for those we deem circumstantially impoverished, but those who are morally impoverished. We may ask what it means to be incarnational to the poor, but we ought also to ask what does it mean to be incarnational to our enemies? And isn't that really the primary question Jesus answers resoundingly with the cross? To say that this isn't answered in the cross is to think that we really weren't God's enemies, or that the cross wasn't a demonstration of love, but rather a mere pragmatic action by God to win us back. It wasn't for us, God's enemies. It was more for God, right? But if we face what the clear truth is, that enemy love is at the crux of the life of Jesus, and this is what it means to be incarnate, then we have some serious thinking to do about how we become incarnate, even and especially to our enemies. Second, Jesus doesn't just show us that enemies are important. He shows us how important they are. They are important enough to love that it costs Jesus his comfort, his pain, and his life. The atonement has many different facets we could explore, but one clear facet is that Jesus bears the consequences of sin. All of the weight of human sin, the grasping at power, jealousy of Jesus' power with the people, uh, frustration that Jesus wasn't overthrowing Rome, fear of Rome that Jesus would lead an insurrection, all of that, that sin and that grasping at power, that evil, came down on Jesus at the cross. And Jesus bore it. Part of what it means to become incarnate is not simply that one makes incursions into the world of another, but that one bears up under the weight of another's world. Jesus didn't simply come down to earth and show solidarity with us for a moment, then ditch us when times got tough and cross became imminent. He who knew no sin took upon himself the suffering and consequences of that sin. Many of us can't imagine suffering unjustly at the hands of our enemies because that's not only unjust, but because we think that our enemies will then win, won't they? But Jesus shows us that bearing suffering, even unjust suffering, is a part of what true, full incarnation entails. Finally, Jesus shows us what I called in Season 2 the ethic of inconsequentialism. Whereas most of our ethics are consequentialist, meaning that we use results and ends to justify the means that we we employ, Jesus shows us that this is the original ethic the tempter employed in the garden— When we seek to define good and evil for ourselves and to justify our actions with some end which seems good, we are opposed to God. It's the temptation Jesus constantly fought off, and it's the temptation ultimately defeated and put on display on the cross. Jesus didn't count equality with God something to be grasped. He submitted to foolishness, to seeming ineffectiveness and defeat, because he knew that faithfulness to the sovereign God was what it meant to be a true human and to have true power. And God vindicated this ethic for us with a powerful display of the resurrection. When we throw out our assumption that injustice against us warrants our own sin to counter it, or that injustice can't seem to win for even a moment, the world of faithful holiness opens up to us. We can then read the life and words of Jesus as he lived and said them rather than reading them as we just know he had to have meant them. When we believe in a sovereign God who controls history and uses even the greatest injustices and tragedies for ultimate good and his glory, we can live the life of a true human. It is in understanding this aspect of the incarnation that we are able to choose right and to bear up under injustice, and why we don't need to become unjust ourselves to uphold our definition of good. I'll just close with a, uh, with a beautiful song that I, I came across uh, from a book, Jesus Through Middle Eastern Eyes, um, just the other day. I think it's, it's my new favorite Christmas hymn. Listen to the words, reflect on the incarnation, and prepare your hearts for the celebration of our God, who became flesh for us, his enemies. The song is entitled, On a Day When Men Were Counted. On a day when men were counted, God became the Son of Man, That his name in every census should be entered was his plan. God, the Lord of all creation, humbly takes a creature's place. He whose form no man has witnessed has today a human face. On a night, while silent shepherds watched their flocks upon the plain, came a message with its summons brought by song of angel train. Lo, in Bethlehem's little village has arrived the shepherd king, and each shepherd to his master... Must his sheep as offering bring. When there shone the star of David in the spangled eastern sky, kings arrived to pay their homage to the Christ, the Lord Most High. Yet not all, for lo, there soundeth through the streets a fearful cry, for a king who will not worship has decreed that Christ must die. Yet it's Christmas, and we greet him, coming even now to save, for the Lord of our salvation was not captive to the grave. Out of Egypt came the Savior, man's Emmanuel, to be. Christmas shines with Easter glory, glory of eternity. That's all for now. So peace, and because I'm a pacifist, when I say it, I mean it.